You're listening to On the Job with Porak, hosted by Porak President Brian Marvel and Vice President Damon Kurtz. Hi, and welcome to another episode of On the Job with Porak. I'm Brian Marvel, President of Porak, and with me is Porak Vice President Damon Kurtz. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about end of session bills. Uh, it's been a while since we've been on, and uh, I want to thank our new producer, Amar, for uh, taking over the duties of producing these and, and getting these together. I know we did a end of session with, uh, not really an end of session, but just sort of a session update with Randy Perry. Um, the session did end on September 14th, and uh, it was a lot of... Uh, a lot of bills, maybe not as much as we've seen in the past. Uh, I think we were working over 250 bills this year. Uh, actively working 51, though, that's been consistent uh, the last several years. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, the amount of bills has not waned. Um, I will say, uh, and, and you can back me up on this, um, the atmosphere has been different this year. The last few years have been uh, significantly different when it comes to the attitude towards law enforcement, uh, particularly in the area of reform. And although we st- still saw some reform bills in there, the the um, um, the attitude towards us, uh, towards law enforcement in general, uh, seems to have changed and there's, there's less uh, apprehension to uh, be supportive of law enforcement and uh, seeing the pendulum start to swing the other way. And Obviously, time will tell, and we'll see what it looks like as we go into next session, because this is a two-year session. So all these bills, uh, um, they, they can come back, the ones that, that didn't get through. So Exactly. And, and I think, you know, to touch on with what you just said is Senate Bill 14. Um, you know, just like before we were setting all this up, um, you know, this is the first bill since Governor Newsom's been in office that actually increased a penalty. Right. Yeah. And it didn't... Uh, go without fanfare or uh, um, the media attention. Um, it was interesting that it made it through the Senate with uh, unanimous votes, which is almost unheard of in this uh, current you know, political climate, uh, only to be uh, initially killed in public safety committee, um, which uh, didn't, didn't, go, didn't sit well with a lot of folks, including those in the public and within the media. Absolutely. And, and to be quite honest, I think uh, the... The backlash that I saw, even in the media, on Senate Bill 14 was uh, was quite surprising because, um, like you said, um, a lot of the pro-public safety bills just sort of go to the Assembly or Senate Public Safety Committees and they die. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, you know, the general public recognize that there's an issue with human trafficking and it's, uh, you know, the, awareness, the general awareness of it that it's so prevalent, not just on an international scale, but it's in everybody's neighborhood, whether they like to think it's there or not, it is. And the awareness of this made this bill all that much more important. And who doesn't want to make sure that we're keeping our communities safe and those that would prey on our young people and, and traffic in human beings shouldn't be punished. Um, so I think it was an unpopular uh, decision for them to kill it in public safety. Yeah, and I, I don't think they saw the optics on it. I think they were just so used to killing bills like this. And then when it actually got out that, hey, you're talking about trafficking minors for sex and servitude, and you guys just killed this bill. Uh, so it was it was glad to see that. And also, uh, you know, we did a little bit of a campaign and highlighted the issue in, in some, of the, uh, some of the folks' districts 
uh, about what a what a thoughtless act on their behalf to to just arbitrarily vote no. Well, I think it became so relatively um, popular or and and risk free to oppose law enforcement or any type of bill like this um, that. I don't think they put much thought into it. And, you know, our ask has always been just put thought into it and at least uh, look at the perspectives and look what, what's being produced or, or proposed and, you know, have real conversations. And that's something that's been missed in the Capitol over the last few years. I feel like that came back this year. There, there were real conversations. So amendments were taken. And I think for the most part, that's why we were successful this year is people are willing to listen. They, they see the tea leaves and they're like, you know what, we better start listening because the public's starting to push back. Um, things aren't good out there when it comes to the, to the uh, level of crime and safety in our streets right now. Absolutely. And I think that goes to also when it comes to fentanyl and the fact that the Assembly Public Safety Committee, again, basically killed almost all of the fentanyl bills didn't even give them an opportunity for discussion. And I think people are starting to realize this poison is hitting our communities, you know. And, and, and then we have a senator who says, oh, just buy Narcan. It's like it's, now it's all the community's responsibility to carry Narcan because of these fentanyl overdoses. Uh, I don't know. I just think the optics on that is just terrible. It's, it's absolutely horrible. Why, why should you, uh, as a family, need to carry Narcan on your body because you're worried that you yourself or your children may be somehow inadvertently exposed to fentanyl, which absorbs through the skin and is deadly in the smallest amounts? And why we don't want to protect our communities from that um, is beyond me. You know, those are questions for them, I guess. Exactly. I do want to thank uh, Assembly Member Baines. Uh, she did get Assembly Bill 33 through, which is the Fentanyl Addiction and Overdose Prevention Task Force, um, at least starting to educate people about how deadly this poison is and, and how it's getting into the communities. And hopefully uh, it'll highlight now these open-air drug markets that we're starting to see pop up in San Francisco and Los Angeles that, um, you know, this – this stuff kills. Kills. It absolutely does. Um, I don't think we've seen anything like this, um, at least not in my tenure in law enforcement. I mean, it's we've had you know strong um, mixtures of of heroin hit the market, and you have a lot of overdoses. But this stuff is so genuinely dangerous and potent um, that I don't think we've seen anything like this, and, and it's very deadly. Moving on to another bill, I know you and I have both touched on it when we go to the chapter meetings and also uh, when we're out there talking to other people. That's Assembly Bill 742 by Assemblymember Jackson. This would have eliminated canines from police forces. Um, boy, when I saw that come across, I mean, that was sort of out of the blue. Right. Well, and his, just his salacious comments and how he introduced it uh, to represent law enforcement in that way uh, was just completely over the top and really took any credibility uh, in my opinion of him or this bill yeah i agree with you and it's just the good thing is is i think as organizations like the police labor unions and the agencies coming together uh working together on this bill and several other bills the stop traffic stop bill and then some lwap stuff I think is important because we really had to show that by having canines uh, just being on the scene, the barking, whether they're deployed or not deployed, uh, 
And over all these years through the reform, we've talked about all of this, uh, you know, trying to mitigate use of force incidents. Here we have a tool, a great tool, and they want to take it away. Well, I mean, that's, you know, anything for a headline, um, take something else away to make it look, I mean, I I don't know where we're going, but we can't continue to take tools away. The one thing I can say about this bill, and this is kind of goes to what I was saying before, the atmosphere is different. Um, I know that many of our members in law enforcement were upset, and rightfully so, about this bill. Um, I would say two years ago, I would have been worried about this bill. Um, but and initially, obviously, we were worried. But as soon as we got out there and started talking to our uh, our our represented folks, our, our legislators, it was clear to me there was no support for this bill. In fact, many of them were angered by the introduction of this bill. We may not be all that popular, but our dogs are. They really love our dogs. So. Uh. Absolutely. I mean, it's a great tool. And it's, you know, and I think the one thing else that was really important about this was is just showing that when just because you're in elected office and you introduce this and, and you're from the dominant party, that you just think your bill is going to get through when in reality, a lot of the questions that we're getting is, is how have you talked to law enforcement about this bill? And what are their thoughts and opinions or on or it? any bill for that matter yeah. that you know, it's, it's, I should say it's surprising, but it's not. But we still have folks out there who don't talk to the stakeholders in any given piece of legislation. It's one-sided, and they don't take the time to make sure they're talking to everybody and look at the impacts. And we can point to study after study of unintended consequences of bills when they pass them. They may have all the best intent in the world, but they create a, um, a bigger problem in doing so. And just having those conversations can, you know, it can help this situation. And like I often, people hear me say it all the time. I'm broken record about it. We we typically argue about the how, not the what. What are you trying to accomplish? Let us help you get there. Um, but when you create the how that is so difficult for us to be there with you, then then we're not there, right? So. And then the other big bill was obviously AB 93 by Assemblymember Brian. This was consensual searches would have taken our ability to do that. Um, you know, there's been a real heavy focus on trying to get police out of traffic stops. I mean, you're seeing it everywhere you go. Uh, there's a desire to get civilians to do traffic stops. I mean, Berkeley's testing that out now, and it just, I don't know. I don't know where we're headed in that. I just don't see that outcome being good at any level. You know, it's, level. it's pretty worrisome from the perspective of how many crimes are found from a simple traffic stop. Um, being able to keep our community safe, you know, fatalities, traffic and collisions, school zones, you know, traffic safety is important. Um, and to say, hey, we're not going to have law enforcement there to enforce those laws, I, I don't know that's the right answer. Um, I, yeah, I, I have obviously, uh, you know, uh, we've been in law enforcement for a long time, so it's hard for us to picture that. Um, you know, again, that's part of that is they try to create legislation that's a one-size-fits-all and and doing that in say san francisco is not going to work in say susanville up in lassen county or in san diego or in fresno Um, even big city to big city san diego and fresno may not be apples to apples and sometimes the legislature doesn't take that into account when they're trying to put forth legislation and not allowing communities to be policed or governed the way they want based on their community yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, it, I think overall this has been a really good session for us. Um, I agree. 
a lot of work uh, on Randy's behalf and also uh, on us in communicating with the elected officials, uh, being more proactive in, in trying to have conversations with them. And, you know, I know one of the things that we try to talk about is, is building that relationship at the lower level. Um, as we've all seen, you know, somebody runs for city council school board, they ultimately wind up here in Sacramento or even Washington, D.C. Um, having those types of relationships early on and allows us to, uh, you know, it's like a force multiplier. It's like I can call down to my folks in San Diego. You can call to your folks in Fresno and be like, hey, we need some help on this bill. Can you reach out to these people? Yeah, and it's also from a perspective that, at the chapter level, if they have a relationship and there's almost like, say, a handoff to the state level for you and I and Randy. So when we go and have these conversations with these folks, they kind of already know who PORAC is and who we are and and how we operate. And so we spend less time trying to convince someone of what PORAC is or what we, what we stand for. And we can focus on the real issues. And so developing those relationships, whether it's at a legislative function somewhere or in the chapter or in, in the in at the locally but also up here at the state level and so when we have to have real conversations we can go have those because there's not this awkwardness of trying to i don't know quote unquote get to know each other there's already a familiarity uh, with us so that that those real conversations can be had and it's so important and not just in in you know legislative process but really in anything policy is even at your local level you know, relationships matter so much when you're trying to get something accomplished. I agree. And also, and I think that really is a testament to uh, why we have so many affiliates, members of, of PORAC, because of the connectivity that we have. We have literally a member in every district in the state of California where some of these other groups may not necessarily have that. And it allows us, uh, because of that, to get into doors that other groups may not be able to. And um, I think it's important, this, this two-way street with us and the affiliates, the affiliates back to us, uh, like you said, on the, the relationship. Yeah, and it's not, these relationships aren't just what can they do for us, can they get us the amendments, it's also how can we support them? Is there legislation out there that we can support them in? Can we give them the political cover to help us, you know, when, we're, when they're helping, help them in the, in the process as well? It's, a, you know, that's I guess that's relationship building, right? How can we be uh, beneficial to each other in this process to make our communities better? No, absolutely. So moving up to the federal level, obviously, I mean, we could probably talk state for hours, but on the federal level, we're going back to D.C. Uh, in December. Um, hopefully they can get this budget stuff fixed because uh, last time, last year when we went, we really focused on H.R. 82, which has the same bill number this year, the WEP GPO. Uh, we're at 291 co-sponsors, which I think is huge. Um, Congressman Graves out of Louisiana is, is uh, Speaker McCarthy's num top lieutenants. Uh, and the fact that he's carrying this bill for us, I think, is uh, beneficial for us in the long run. Um, we're early in the year um, for uh, you know trying to get this over the finish line. I thought we were going to have some good momentum last year, but the National Defense Authorization Act sort of sucked the oxygen out of the Capitol last year. We're sort of dealing with it now with this budget shutdown, but I still feel good that maybe this could be the year that we get, this year or next year could be the time that we get this over the finish line. Yeah, yeah it's. I don't think we've ever seen this kind of momentum on something like this. And I, and I you know, look, it's taken years for us to get here. And, you know, the 
the information that we've gathered over the years um, to help this argument. And for those that maybe not know what we're talking about, it's the uh, government pension offset uh, dealing with Social Security. Um, you know, this, there's only 15 states that that this affects and haven't been able to figure out why there's only 15. But, um, you know, because this goes back into um, you know, quite a ways. Um, Four percent of total recipients, less than two percent of the total budget. So it's clearly a more of a fairness issue than it is a uh, fiscal issue. Um, this isn't going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back on Social Security. I mean, there's always that argument that it's going to go bankrupt, it's going to end, it's going to end, and um, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Um, but in the meantime, let's we can still make sure that it's a fair process and our members um, get what's coming to them, and also their spouses. I mean, the the fact that you pass away. And your your spouse may work in the in paying the Social Security their entire life, and then get uh, and be penalized because our government pension then goes to them after we pass away. is It's just not fair. Yeah. yeah. And if their Social Security is less than what we get dinged on our Social Security, they could get zero. You could wind up losing your entire Social Security benefit because of our pension, which is ridiculous. The one thing that I've really noticed is, is since we, I, I know Porak's been working on this for a very long time, but I really feel like maybe the last three years, four years, we've really upped our game there. And it almost seems like since we've come on board and really started to push this, that there's been a lot greater momentum in Washington, D.C. to get this through and at the president's desk. Well, when you look at it just from the California contingent, how many representatives we have up there. Um, and so if that is being repeated over and over again, I think that helps and it pushes to other states, pressures other states to do the same. And now we're doing the coalition with the with uh, the other states coming along with Alaska, Washington, Oregon, and only helps, you know, amplify that voice of, hey, this, this isn't fair. Um, so the, these are all good things. And, you know, it's something that we probably didn't focus on as much um, in earlier years in PORAC. We were more focused on the state level. But I, I, think, I think we have to make sure that we uh, don't lose sight of what's going on federally as well. Yeah, I definitely I agree with that. West Coast Coalition, I think, has been real beneficial, which brings up another big bill that I think a lot of people uh, have great interest in, and that's by uh, Congressman Panetta, uh, lowering the Medicare entry age for fire and police to age 57. Yeah, this is an issue that, you know, you and I talked about, and um, we, we pushed for this introduction, uh, recognizing that, you know, most uh, organizations outside of maybe some of the state organizations, most of us don't have medical post-retirement. And it's the single most expensive thing you're going to have when you retire outside of your, your uh, mortgage. So how do, we, how do we address this issue? Because we're not going to get to age 65. You know, almost none of us get to 65 when we retire. We're, we're going to be forced to retire sooner than that. Our body, uh, whether it's, you know, through the stress of the job or it's physical ailments are not, it just breaks down. And so how do we create a mechanism to find a, an affordable choice for our, for first responders? And so that's what this bill was. It, tried to, it tries to uh, create a, um, a program that we can have, uh, you know, Medicare early at, say, age 58 to, um, to offset the fact that we're going to retire early and it gives us a, an affordable option. Yeah, and I, uh, I want to thank Congressman Panetta for uh, it, this was actually brought up in the last session as a, just a discussion topic. Uh, he reached out. We were able to have some additional conversations with him and his staff, and uh, he's willing to carry this mantle. And I think this is similar to the WEP GPO bill in a sense that uh, we've just planted the seed. 
I think this will take some time. I would love to see it uh, with you and I up here, um, but whether that happens, I'm not sure. It may take other people beyond us to continue to push that, but the reality is, is we're starting to have that conversation. And I think it's nice that we're able to have these conversations about how we can create a better life for our members post-employment, um, but also for the ones that are here and with retention, recruitment. Um, there are other bills out there. I forget the name of it, but they're looking at creating a, a VA-type loan for, for, ho- for Homeowner Helper Act so that first responders can get similar uh, funding for, for a new home. And I, I think they're starting to focus on uh, the first responders and realizing that they're you know we're in a crisis in this country and making sure that we continue to have first responders um it's not an attractive uh, place for young people right now we need to change that narrative and usually the way you do that is to to make the job attractive not not only financially but also uh, other incentives incentives. absolutely well i think i'll close it out with one more federal bill and this is a big one it's obviously the qualified immunity bill Um, that's hr 233 by congressman banks out of uh, indiana I'm sure most of us, you know, obviously uh, one of the things that we get dinged on on qualified immunity is is that it was created by the courts where now this bill would actually make it a law. And I think that gives us a lot of cover when we have this discussion because uh, the opposition, they really push qualified immunity and they put it out there as it's something that it's not. It's not used as prevalent as they would like it people to believe. It's it. We've we've done the studies, and it's what less than three percent of the time it's ever it's really even invoked. And um, you know this idea that that's ultimate immunity is just it's a false narrative that gets put out there. And it, it you know look it's an emotional argument when people think that there's no repercussions and that's just not the case. Um, so you know uh, having this be codified in law would be great but also maybe an educational piece to this that people understand that what it really means and it's not protecting anybody from wrongdoing. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, is, you know, the elected officials, the judges and the district attorneys, they have absolute immunity. And unfortunately, as we see in California, they've passed a lot of bills where thousands of people have probably have died because they refused to take with, people with, out. With so. zero, uh, with zero repercussions. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, imagine doing a job where, you know, because we're in a litigious society and you could be sued for everything, but you have no protection for doing your job. Um, so, and that's all qualified immunity does is provides people protections for doing their job, not doing it the wrong way, not going out of course of scope and, you know, creating, doing criminal acts that doesn't protect you from that. It just protects you from doing your job, acting as an agent of your organization, whether it's writing a ticket or having, unfortunately, put somebody in custody without use of force. Just putting somebody in custody, you can be sued. And to have protections for doing the job that you were basically sworn to do, um, you should have that. You shouldn't be out there in an eye. Yeah. Yeah, just just to reiterate, qualified immunity does not cover you on a criminal charge. (laughs) It does not. So... Well, I think this was a good conversation. Uh, You can go to our website, PORAC.org. We have our advocacy platforms on there. You can see the bills that we're currently working on, uh, either in the state or on the federal level. Um, It's a great place to start. Um, Happy to to take questions and answers. If you give us a call via email, uh, reach out to PORAC. Um, So it was great having this conversation. Hopefully the membership uh, finds this uh, enlightening and informational. I want to thank you all for joining us on this latest episode of On the Job with Porak.
We hope you enjoyed it. As always, we'd like to close this podcast by thanking all our PORAC members and our nation's law enforcement. We hope you stay safe and have a great day.